St. John Paul II, um, years ago, declared that the second Sunday of Easter would be the Feast of Divine Mercy, which is based on a a private revelation uh, received by St. Faustina, a Polish nun who lived at the beginning of the last century, uh, who received direct apparitions of Jesus. um, And he spoke of this devotion to divine mercy, God's mercy for the world, for the people. You may have prayed before the chaplet of divine mercy for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. That's based on the prayers of, uh, and revelations of St. Faustina. This image we have right here in front of the ambo of the divine mercy is the classic emblem of, of the devotion. Jesus, uh, as he appeared to St. Faustina, she and her spiritual director actually commissioned an artist to do this painting. Um, and out of the side of Christ... Uh, risen is two beams of light, red and white, symbolizing the blood and the water that came forth from his side at his crucifixion when they pierced his sacred heart, and the white being the water of baptism and the blood being the red being the blood of the Eucharist, uh, the two sacraments which make the church, uh, but also express in a special way God's mercy for the world, allowing his side to be pierced, allowing his own heart to be pierced out of love for us for the forgiveness of our sins, and that that stream of mercy, that infinite light, never runs out. God's mercy is absolutely endless, fathomless. So it's a beautiful day that we celebrate today. I wanted to share with you a story I feel like uh, really sums up what mercy is and what it looks like, what divine mercy is and what it looks like. It's a familiar story you may know from Les Miserables, the great story by Victor Hugo. It's a very long book, a very long play and uh, movie. But at the very beginning, there is uh, the story that kind of sets up the whole story, based around um, Jean Valjean, the main character of the book. Who, Jean Valjean, uh, this is set around the beginning of the 19th century in France, and uh, it was a time of great poverty for many of the people, and Jean Valjean, the main character, is desperately poor, he's out of work, and he ends up having to steal bread from the baker in order to feed not himself, but his sister, who's widowed, and her family. Uh, who are starving. He gets caught and is sentenced to five years in a penal colony, a penal uh, servitude in the galleys of a ship rowing. So he's just tied to this uh, ship and he has to do hard labor for five years. He tries to escape several times, which only extends his, uh, his jail time to 19 years. So he goes in when he's 25 and he's well into his 40s by the time that he gets out of uh, prison. But even still, as a convict, he has to carry around this paper that uh, basically guarantees that he can't get any work, that no one will welcome him. He, he's required, as a condition of his probation, to basically declare that he's a criminal. So his life is absolutely ruined. Uh, and it says, Victor Hugo says this line, From suffering to suffering, Valjean had gradually arrived at the conviction that life is a war. And in this war, he was the loser. He had no other weapon than his hate, and he resolved to sharpen it in the galleys and bear it with him wherever he went. So you see in this man a picture of the worst, that he has suffered this great wound, this great injustice, and now he looks at the world basically as um, an enemy, and he hates the world. He hates other people. He even hates himself. So finally, when he gets out of prison, he's walking for miles and miles. He has nothing, no money, no food, no water. He hasn't drunk or ate anything all day. And he finally arrives in this town, and obviously no one will welcome him in. He's a haggard criminal carrying his slip of paper. Even the prison won't let him in. He rings the doorbell of the prison, and they say, get yourself arrested and we'll admit you. But this isn't a hotel. So he can't sleep anywhere. Finally, he ends up in the courtyard of the cathedral, 
and is about to fall asleep on a stone bench, hungry, and a woman comes up to him and says, do you need help? And he says, yes, but no one in this town will accept me. And she said, did you try that door? And it's the door of the bishop. He doesn't know that, but it's this humble little house. And Bishop uh, Welcome, actually, Monsignor Bienvenu, is this kind of holy figure. And in the beginning of the book, uh, Victor Hugo explains who this person is. The reason he lives in this tiny little house is because he gave away the bishop's mansion to the hospital. The hospital had dozens of people in it, and he only had himself and his sister uh, in his house, so he traded houses with, with the hospital. So he lives in this humble little former hospital. He gets a, a salary of 25,000 francs every year, but he only keeps 1,000, gives the rest to the poor um, to keep himself. He has this 1,000 for him and his sister. Um, everyone knows that if you give the bishop money, none of it ends up in his own possession. It's, he's got slippery hands, as Pope Francis says, and it just goes to the poor. He's like a broker between the rich and the poor. Uh, he's a man of deep prayer. He's up earlier than everyone else. He's up later than everyone else, always on his knees in the oratory and then the rest of the day serving the people. Um, he's a man of deep mercy. In fact, he wrote uh, something in the margins of his Bible, Victor Hugo says. He wrote, The Psalms call you wisdom and truth. John calls you light. The books of Kings call you Lord. Exodus calls you providence. Man calls you father. But Solomon calls you mercy. And that is the fairest of all your names. He's talking to God. Mercy is the fairest of all God's names. Anyway, Jean Valjean knocks on his door, and of course he welcomes him in. His name is Bishop Welcome. He welcomes him in. In fact, he lets him sleep in his own bed, and he sleeps out in the living room. The bishop has a nice dinner for him, and Jean Valjean can't understand why this man of nobility, this high-ranking church official, is being so nice and kind and welcoming to this ragged criminal. And because of this hatred and suspicion of the world that he has, he gets up in the middle of the night and he just can't help himself. The one luxury that the bishop has allowed himself is his silverware, which is kept locked in a cabinet, but the key is left in there. And so Jean Valjean steals the silverware and runs off into the night. Shortly thereafter, he gets caught by the police because he looks suspicious, and they find the silverware in his possession. And they take him back to the bishop, and they say, this man stole your silverware. And the bishop, who has... Valjean's life in his hands can send him back to the galleys for the rest of his miserable life. Simply looks at him and he says, Oh no, that was a gift. But my friend, you forgot the candlesticks. And he gives him the candlesticks and the police say, All right, fine. And they walk away. And there, Jean Valjean meets the face of mercy in the bishop. And the bishop says this words, these words to him. My brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it now from black thoughts and perdition and give it to the good God. This utterly changes the life of Jean Valjean. The rest of the thousand pages of the book is him kind of living out and living up to this second chance, this mercy that he's received. But he sees in the bishop the face of Christ and his mercy and his forgiveness, his generosity. I think that is what it looks like when we encounter Christ and his mercy. We've learned something from the readings today. Jesus comes into the upper room where the apostles are locked in there for fear of suffering. They don't want to suffer the same fate as Jesus. And they're even afraid maybe of him because the last time they saw him, they promised to stay with him and they all abandoned him. Peter denied him and maybe they feel guilty. 
They, they hear he's risen from the dead, but what's he going to say when he finally comes back? Well, he comes into the room and just says four words. Peace be with you. Over and over again. Peace be with you. I don't hold it against you. And then he shows him that, the, them that side, the wounds in his hands and his side. Thomas is not there. Thomas called Didymus. He's off somewhere. Maybe he's not as afraid as them. That's why he's out. But when he hears that they've seen the Lord, he says, I will not believe until I put my hands in the wounds, until I see the marks of the nails. I think we learn two things from this reading. One is what divine mercy looks like, how it gets to us. What does Jesus say to the apostles? Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain are retained. It's through Christ we get mercy, but it's through the church we get Christ. Through the priesthood, especially the sacraments, especially the sacrament of penance, which is instituted at this moment. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever you forgive in my name, they are actually forgiven. It's actually me forgiving them. So every time you go to confession and confess with true contrition in your heart every sin that you can remember and the priest absolves you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that's baptism. That's a reintroduction back into full communion with the body of Christ with a clean conscience. That's divine mercy. But we also learn that the resurrection is kind of unbelievable until you encounter him face to face. Like Jean Valjean or like the 11, or the 10, rather, until Thomas comes back and sees him face to face. Thomas is right in a certain sense. Until I put my hands in that wound, until I sense that he's really real, the resurrection, Jesus, divine mercy, is all just an idea. But then once Thomas sees him face to face, once he gets to put his hand inside the side of Christ, from which flows that blood and water that goes for the forgiveness of all the world's sins, his life is completely changed. He's the first apostle, by the way, not just to confess that Jesus is the Messiah or the Son of God, but that he's God himself. What does he say when he kneels down in front of Jesus? My Lord and my God. And it's said that St. Thomas is the apostle that went furthest after he got sent out with the Great Commission, go therefore and preach to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They say he went to India, while the rest went to you know, Europe or Jerusalem or Egypt. He's the one that went the farthest. In fact, this, uh, certain rites in the Indian Christian church still to this day trace their apostolic roots to St. Thomas. After encountering Christ and his resurrection and his mercy, Thomas is empowered to go out because he knows two things. That Jesus is wherever he goes. Now he doesn't need to be in this upper room. He doesn't need to be in Jerusalem. Jesus is present to him and to the church, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, wherever the poor and the vulnerable and those in need are served, but most especially in the Eucharist. Jesus is present to his church wherever. So you could go to India, you could go to Japan, you could go to the moon, and there's Jesus so long as the church is there. And the most important thing he learned was that his life is not about him anymore. When you encounter the risen Christ, and we, God knows, are all in need of mercy, when you encounter his mercy, his forgiveness, that he loves you even though you are who you are, even though you have the past that you have, even though you haven't always accepted him or loved him, and you've denied him maybe several times, that he comes to you and says, peace be with you. This is how St. Paul says in Corinthians, he died for all of us, 
so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for our sake. That's the gospel. That's divine mercy. When you realize what it cost him to save you, and now you no longer live for yourself. Your life is no longer about you. It's about him and extending that mercy to all who need it.